This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And at the end of the Lord Jesus, at the end of his 30 years of study, when the Lord Jesus had graduated at his baptism, just as Professor Yuri said, it's your turn, use your training, don't be idle, make your contributions to the world. So the Lord Jesus understood at his baptism that now it was his turn and that he was to use his training and that he was not to be idle and he was to make his contribution to the world. And just as Professor Yuri did go out and get his Nobel Prize for covalent bonding and uranium enrichment. So the Lord Jesus did go out and got his prize also, which was Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 2.10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So the work that the Lord Jesus did was the work of rescuing lost souls from a destiny of hell to a destination of heaven, just like the hymn puts it so well when it says, golden harps are sounding, angel voices ring, pearly gates are open, open for the king, Christ the king of glory, Jesus king of love, is gone up in triumph to his throne above. All his work is ended, joyfully we sing, Jesus, has ascended, glory to our King, and another hymn. But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The King of glory passes on his way. Alleluia, alleluia. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl streams in the countless host singing to the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Alleluia, alleluia. But, for, but as far as my scientific training went, it all started on that day, that graduation day, and it was a glorious day. Like I said, it was just like today, beautiful. 
I'll never forget that day. Gene remembers it. You weren't there, Gene, but you remember it anyway. Anyway, and my mother and my father were there, and they gave me graduation presents on that day. My mother and my father gave me graduation presents on the day I graduated from UCSD. And God also gave me a graduation present on that day, June 17th, 1973. I got a graduation gift from God the Father. It was a very special graduating gift from God the Father as we went from the graduating ceremony at UCSD directly to Mercy Hospital where Cheryl went into labor and my firstborn son was born on that day, David Israel. And I have a picture, I have a photograph of me holding my firstborn son in my arms. And that was God the Father saying to me, congratulations, son. Here's my graduation present for you today, a son, David Israel. Very nice. I'll never forget that day. And I'll never forget at the end of that ceremony, standing there with my degree in my hand in the crowd. And as I said, my mother was there, my father was there, which was no easy thing because they were divorced and they did not get along and as a matter of fact, my mother sat on one side of the crowd and my father sat on the other side of the crowd. The farthest they could get away from each other. But when I was standing there with my degree that I had in my hand after the ceremony at UCSD with the crowd all there, that was the only time I remember my father and my mother actually standing together. But they did. And my father was so proud of me that, I mean, he had told me, what it was like for him to graduate from medical school at the University of Chicago, where my father went on to develop a minimally invasive surgery to correct women's incontinence, which was then the surgery was called Marshall Marchetti Cantor. Very, very proud of that. Wrote a book. He wrote a book. And there I was at my graduation that day, and my father was so proud of me that day that he was telling people he didn't even know. He said, this is my son, Tommy. <laughs> he says he graduated today with a graduate in biochemistry. And just as I had spent years preparing to graduate, so the Lord Jesus had spent years preparing for that day when John the Baptist graduated him in the baptism there. And he had prepared for that, Hebrews 5.8. Hebrews 5.8 describes his preparation. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Luke 2.51, Luke 2.51, he went down with his parents and with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. And just as I spent those years studying biochemistry in school for that great graduation day, so the Lord Jesus spent his 30 years in his life and training, studying, learning for his great graduation day. And just as at my graduation day, there was an audience there was an audience, so there was on the bank of the River Jordan an audience at the baptism graduation of the Lord Jesus, and just as it was there at that time for me, that, that one event, when I took my degree out of the hands of Professor Yuri, and at that moment I was graduated, so there was that one event when the Lord Jesus was immersed in the waters and came up and he came out graduated, and just as my father was so proud of me that he couldn't contain himself, he was telling strangers, this is my son Tommy, so... God the Father was so proud of his son, he couldn't contain himself, and he told everybody who was there at the bank, there uh, the river, in Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And just as Professor Yuri told us to view our graduation as just the start, the beginning, to go out and, and do what you've been trained for, so for the Lord Jesus at his graduation, it was just a start, a start to use what he had been trained for. And just as the Lord Jesus emerged out of those waters and he set out 
in the Acts 10.38, Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, and with power he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. But the work of the Lord Jesus and healing all that were oppressed of the devil didn't happen without a battle. And there was, because there was someone else there at that graduation baptism of the Lord Jesus that was not for him, that was against him, and that person was the devil, who we can imagine said, oh, no, you won't. I will oppose you. I will hinder you. I will stop you. And that's why right after his baptism, we read in Matthew 4.1, Matthew 4.1, that then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So it was the Spirit of God who right after his baptism led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And we always read that and we say, what was that all about? Well, that was the Spirit of God saying to Jesus, yes, you have graduated, but you need one more special postgraduate degree. You need one more special postgraduate master's degree in a course of study called Overcoming Satan. Overcoming Satan. Overcoming Satan. And then you'll be completely trained to go out and do your work in the world. And that's the reason the Lord Jesus needed this extra degree in overcoming Satan because he was going to face a lot of opposition from Satan in his work. And all of what I've just said is to explain Verse 1 of our chapter, chapter 15, verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, where it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. This is the opposition that the Lord Jesus was trained to handle in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted of the devil in that training course that the Holy Spirit had led him into. Well, okay, so here comes the opposition. Here's the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're not just any scribes and Pharisees. These ones have come, been sent from headquarters, Jerusalem. They've heard of this Jesus. They've heard of his miracles of healing and feeding thousands. They've heard how he does not promote the power of the scribes and the Pharisees. He doesn't support them. And now... They've come to oppose him, to stop him, bring him down. So the fight is on, and they fire their first shot over the bow of his boat. It's a shot of an accusation. In verse 2, why, they say, do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread? Oh, it's all about the tradition of the elders. It is, which also today is known and promoted as, it's not really called the tradition, the tradition of those, but it's also known as the oral law, the great oral law. A few weeks ago, I was in a, a Zoom class on, a, on Torah, a Torah study at an Orthodox synagogue in Pennsylvania. The rabbi is a friend, and the rabbi, uh, during the class, was... Uh, questioning me on my views about the oral law. And so in response, I said in the class, I don't believe in the oral law. <gasps> Oof. I told him, I said, I don't believe the oral law is valid. And then another student spoke up and said, 
if there's no oral law, then there's no Judaism. And when these scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem spoke about the tradition of the elders, they were talking about what is called today the oral law, which raises the question, what is this? What is this tradition of the elders? What is this oral law? Well, what the rabbis say is that it all started on Mount Sinai with Moses. Moses on Mount Sinai, when he came down with those tablets from Mount Sinai, they say he was given two laws, don't you know? One law is called the Torah or the written law, which, was, which is contained for us in the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But as they say, oh, but wait, they say, there's more. Not only was Moses given the written oral law at Mount Sinai, but Moses was given what they say a mysterious, that's my word, a mysterious oral law of a far more complete and complicated set of detailed instructions and elaboration of the written law, a more detailed explanation of the meaning of the written law. For they say the written law is incomplete. It doesn't explain adequately how to do the written law that was given in the ear, and so the oral law was given in the ear of Moses. For example, the written Torah, the law in Leviticus 17.12, Leviticus 17.12, speaks about blood. We're very familiar with that chapter. Also says the, that the life is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar. It's, an alt, it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. But anyway, in, in Leviticus 17.12, it speaks about meat. Now, we all like meat. I like meat. I hope you like meat. Meat's very good. I have seven coronary stents to prove it. But um, anyway, uh, it says in, in Leviticus 17, 12, therefore, God said, therefore, I said unto you, the children of Israel, no soul of you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. So you're not supposed to eat blood. And I thought, well, who eats blood? Well, go to Germany, and as, as I have, and go to one of their restaurants and see on the menu, blood sausage. I thought, really? Really? All right, so you're not supposed to eat that. Fine. But my rabbi friend says that, oh, that, well, actually, he was on his way, he was going to a wedding, he was, was on his way to go into a wedding, just as he was walking into the wedding, before he told me this, just as he was walking to the wedding, he started thinking about me. And he said that, uh, he said that, um, he started thinking about that I reject the oral law, and he felt compelled, he felt compelled to have to write to me this word that surely is going to save his Jewish friend, Tom Cantor, from rejecting the oral law. So he writes me an email just before he goes into the, to the wedding. He writes an email. It goes like this. Hi, Tom. Please be open-minded. What do you think the Torah means when it says that you 
should eat meat, that you should eat meat slaughtered as I have commanded you. The Torah never teaches how to slaughter an animal, yet the Torah states, as I have commanded you. What option is there, my friend? The Torah clearly says, as I have commanded, obviously referring to oral law. I'm open-minded. Give me an alternative. Thanks very much, David. He says, David, he means. Okay. Well, I replied, and I said, well, when God said to Moses, as I commanded you, that was referring up to a few verses earlier where God had said before, don't eat blood. He's just saying, as you know, he's saying, as I already told you. It's not referring to some mysterious, unknown oral instructions that are not part of the books of, of Moses. But what Rabbi David means is that Moses said in the written law to not eat blood when you kill animals to pour it out on the ground and cover it with dust, but it, that's how I said it. And I said, that's all, just don't eat the blood. The red stuff, don't eat the red stuff. If it drips and it's sticky and it's red, don't eat it. It's very simple. Put it on the dust, cover it up. Oh, but he says, no, no, no. That's not enough instruction for not eating blood. We need a more detailed set of instructions that come from the oral law. The elders were told by Moses, who heard it on Mount Sinai and told it in the ears of the elders, who miraculously, down through millennia, centuries and centuries, told it in the ears of other elders, who told it in the ears of other elders, and over thousands of years, they kept writing and writing and writing these, these oral instructions, which now we have as part of the oral law in the Talmud, which, which here is referred to the tradition of the elders. First, the oral law says, that there, not just anybody can kill an animal, has to be a special person called a shokhet. A shokhet is, is my, my grandfather was a shokhet for the city of Petersburg, Virginia, and he was the only trained shokhet who could do the slaughter. So if he got sick, you didn't eat meat. The shokhet has to be authorized by a recognized rabbinical authority. Has to be. The oral law says, the Olaf says that there must be a sharp knife with no dents and no imperfections has to be used. My grandfather had a wooden box with his special slaughter knives that had no dents or imperfections that he worked with. And with these knives, there has to be one swift, deep cut of the throat that must sever both the trachea and the esophagus with one stroke that the stroke has to be with no hesitation, that there cannot be excessive pressure or any chopping, and there can be no incision in any other place other than that prescribed area across the throat where you hit the trachea and the esophagus. No laceration, no tearing of the trachea or esophagus that would come from a dented knife, and no slaughter of a parent animal and a child animal on the same day. Then the lungs have to be examined and make sure there's no defect. Then certain areas of fat have to be removed over the kidneys, over the spleen, over the certain other parts have to be removed. That a particular sinew of the thigh vein has to be excised. It has to be removed. It's no wonder that my father became a surgeon, right? Which includes the inner sinew and the outer sinew and the branches 
in the thigh. They have to be removed. And all the veins in the arteries have to be removed, and especially in the knee joints. You have to cut the knee joints to excise those veins and arteries. Then once you've done all that, surgical procedures, then the meat has to be soaked and salted to remove any traces of blood. And there's even more detailed instructions that are in the oral law. All of which boils down to the oral law guarantees the job protections for the rabbis, of course, because only they can do this. And all of this means the price of kosher meat is expensive, which which, which is income and making money. And right now, I'm I'm actually experiencing that, uh, just how expensive all that kosher meat is, as we're uh, in the process of buying food for an Orthodox family, a family of 10, who's going to spend two weeks with us in one of our homes in Loretto. And uh, we're buying all the food for that. And and as we are now buying the food, and and, uh, it's only three pages of things we have to buy, by the way. But anyway, as we're buying all this food, the kosher brisket is $20 a pound. The kosher London broil is $15 a pound. And a kosher chicken is $12 a pound, if you believe that. And it's mounting up. I mean, kosher meat is remarkably expensive, but what choice do we have? It's limited. Fortunately, I don't have to buy kosher lobster or kosher crab. They're really expensive. But all these detailed instructions, all of this is specified in the oral law. Moses gives a simple instruction, just pour out the blood on the ground and cover it with dust, and, but that's not good enough, no. We need the oral law to tell us much greater detail of how this is to be done. And here's the issue. If you don't follow the oral law for making kosher meat, then it's a great sin. It's a great sin for the Orthodox people. To, not, to eat non-kosher meat brings about a great guilt of the conscience of the soul. That basically boils down to to not follow these ever-evolving oral law brings a guilt to the conscience. And that, my friends, is how the oral law represents a tyranny over the conscience. Because when violation of the oral law results in a guilty conscience, then the oral law has succeeded in becoming a tyrant of the conscience. Tyranny of the conscience is how the oral law holds the people in bondage with its demands for how to make kosher meat, how to not eat meat and dairy together, as in a cheeseburger, how to not eat pork, how to wear a yarmulke on the head and and, and become what we call yamis, what words you are to use when you pray, what exact time interval you have for lighting candles on Friday night at the beginning of Shabbat, how to unscrew the light bulbs inside the refrigerator so they don't go on and represent some kind of work on Saturday Shabbat, how the man and wife are to sleep in separate beds during the period of the month, how you are to not answer the phones and not turn on the stoves and not turn on the ovens and not drive a car on Saturday Shabbat, which elevators are authorized to use on Saturday Shabbat, And on and on and on they go, also included are more elaborations based on 613 laws of Judaism. 
And this is all called, these are all part of the oral law, which they say is an elaboration, an explanation on how to, on how to guide for the written law. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.